0: Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue-collar work ethic and where I find real value. Hey everybody, this week on the podcast, I'm joined by Drew Wilson, currently a resident of Russellville, Arkansas. Drew is a really phenomenal visual artist. He works across a a pretty varied cache of mediums, but I guess his primary art form is tattooing. He's a working tattoo artist. Uh, He also makes just a ton of really cool Posters and stickers He does some skateboard decks uh, Occasionally a t-shirt He's done belt buckles He'll talk about that a little bit In the interview But uh, I've known Drew for a long time He's a local guy He was a skater kid And uh, a musician And a tattoo artist And he just recently uh, Got off of this like year long trek With his girlfriend Katie Where they traveled around the country With an Airstream trailer And a truck And Drew just kind of fly fish his way to all these really beautiful locations. in uh, you know, the lower 48 and, you know, he would stop visit with folks, uh, tattoo for a few days to fill the coffers and then go back to this really intentional way of living. He's also just one of the more thoughtful people that I know. I just use the word intentional, but that's kind of the word that comes to mind with this guy. He's, you know, he kind of has like a, An ethos and a code of ethics And he follows them very strictly Uh, He's just such a good dude Such a positive force in the world An amazing talent, an amazing artist A phenomenal fisherman uh, And just a really cool voice I think to have in whatever this space is That uh, we're developing and curating On this podcast So uh, I'm so excited for you To listen to this conversation With my friend Drew Wilson Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast This week I am in Russellville, Arkansas The bustling metropolis of uh, I'm at the residence of one Drew Wilson Who you might know from Instagram as Drew LR uh, Drew is a tattoo artist uh, Not a graphic design artist But, uh,
1: I mean, what, what would you call your other art? Like, How would you describe that? Um, lo- low brow fish art, maybe. I I don't.
0: But yeah, yeah. But so you're doing like prints, stickers. Uh, you've done some T-shirts, but not like a ton,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. Just whatever the medium is at the time. I did, I did some belt buckles. I've, I, but not just like product wise. have uh, just style wise, just low brow, just poor man's fish art. Uh, yeah. Also a. <laughs> So we're going to get more
0: into that, but I mean, as your profession, right? Like your main profession, you would say
1: you're a tattoo artist. Yeah. by by trade, that's that's what I would claim.
0: Uh, And then like I said, you've got this other side where you're doing, you're producing art in these other mediums and then would by passion, you would say that you're a fly angler.
1: I'm I'm just a fisherman. I predominantly use a fly rod, but that's just because it's what I like to do, but like I'd go fishing with my hands. It don't matter to me. Taking old
0: Zebco out there every once in a while. I have
1: a Zebco that I take out very regularly.
0: What is it? it Zebco thirty three. I'm a Zebco thirty
1: three man. Yeah. Uh,
0: But yeah. So Drew, originally from, are you from Little Rock or North Little Rock?
1: I I grew up all over that area. Um, Okay. Yeah. I had one of those families that moved like every. We moved a lot. We weren't military or anything. We just weren't doing very well, <laughs> so we are always moving dysfunctional, I guess. All
0: right, but so central Arkansas central there. Central Arkansas.
1: Uh, if you don't live in Arkansas,
0: North Little Rock is a separate city on uh, the opposite side of the Arkansas River.
1: It's Whole different not, vibe, too. Yeah,
0: yeah, very much so. It's, it's not just a, a direction in Little Rock. But, uh, man, you've just kind of come back to Arkansas here after – You've been here for what a couple, two, three months, back? Three months as of yesterday. Yeah. And then before that, you just did this kind of epic year, traveling around, tattooing enough to pay the bills, and hauling this really palatial airstream around, yeah. and, and just fly fishing and tattooing and, uh, you know, just bathing yourself in freedom from every yeah. direction.
1: We made it. We made it a. a little bit over a year on the road. Our goal when we left was like, we're going to do one year at least. And about 10 and a half months in, we knew we were going to have to get off the road from some family health issues. And then we were like, well, we're going to stick it out. We're going to make it to at least a year. And so we hit that year mark and basically headed straight home from there. So I think a year and four days on the road, a year and five days. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And you were just saying before we started recording that You guys never stayed in a hotel. You
0: never got an Airbnb. You spent the whole time in the camper.
1: Whole time in the camper. You know what? I Actually, I kind of misled you there, though. Um, There is a family in Red River, New Mexico, who invited us to come stay and said they had a place we could park our camper. And when we got there, they were like, well, we have a cabin that we rent that you guys are more than welcome to stay in because they didn't have hookups for the camper. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up staying in the cabin. So we stayed out of our camper for about five days in this cabin in Red River. And it was our first few weeks on the road. So it was like right in the very beginning. And we learned then that we didn't need to stay outside the camper, because our cat wouldn't adjust to like being in a new house immediately. He just howled for days, and so after that we were pretty dedicated to being like, we're only gonna stay in the camper if we can.
0: Did you have to – to hook that up, did you have to have electrical or did you have a generator on board or what?
1: No, no, just electrical. I like – man, I you know, you, you hear about people going and living on the road and all the preparation that they do, and all my preparation was from someone who's inexperienced with large campers. So I didn't I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And so something like getting a generator was something I didn't even consider for months because I just – I mean, we bought that camper, worked on it to get it ready to live in. Aesthetically, we didn't even have it like actually ready to go as far as like the the guts and the working sections of the camper. And so we, we just left with that thing, having no clue what we were doing. And yeah, it was months before I even thought about a generator. I didn't even have the right plugins. I didn't have the right sewer hoses. I didn't have anything correct, um, But, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, is 30 amp is what we had to have, but I didn't even know that in the beginning. I literally, like, would show up at a campsite and just be an idiot and not know what I needed and have to go... I would go buy things to see if they would work, and they wouldn't, and I'd go return it and buy something else to see if it would work because I had such limited knowledge of, like, how RVs work.
0: Well, a lot of those campgrounds, too, like you'll pay for more juice, right? So won't, they, won't there be like a variance? In-
1: S- some sites do have different prices based on the level of hookups they have. So you might have like 50 amp sites that are more expensive, but most of the time you're pulling up and it's like you have your little electrical area and it's got options. But I just had adapters towards the end of it so I could run off anything. And so I would show up to someone's house and plug into a 20 amp, with a 30 amp adapter 30 amps like pretty standard though for smaller RVs we actually needed probably a lot more for the size of our camper but it's just an old camper so they didn't do 50 amp then uh
0: that's that's kind of a misnomer saying it's just an old camper because it's like it's a super cool camper right it's like what is it a 30 foot
1: 34 foot Airstream Excella, 1994
0: Bohoed style. That's what my wife said. Oh, yeah. She said it's boho. Katie would take that as a compliment. Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, it's very obvious that, uh, a woman with some, <laughs> some uh, taste. Yeah. Some style put it together.
1: Yeah. It wasn't like a chubby, bald, tattooed
0: guy. <laughs> it was a woman that was pretty stylish. Well, we're, we're, you know, Marianne and I are, we're doing some work on our camper and, uh, Like, I've never done anything on it, right? Like, I got it. It smells kind of mildew-esque in there. And I just, you know, when it's 20 degrees outside and I got a church full of duck hunters, it's a great place for me to be because I got, like, some privacy. I can get heat. Uh, If the water line doesn't freeze, I can get, you know, hose water in there and make coffee. Uh, But, uh, yeah, it's not going to fly for... Marianne being in it.
1: That's how it was for our situation. I didn't actually want to live on the road. I wanted to move to Utah, and it ended up getting proposed from Katie because she didn't want to leave Arkansas permanently, and she was worried if we moved to Utah that we'd end up having roots there. And so she was like, well, I don't want to leave the state, but we could do the camper things. I spoke about it years before. And when I agreed, so we had to start camper shopping and looking for what we wanted to get. And I was down for something extremely bare bones because it doesn't take much for me to be happy. You know, like having a heat and then place to make coffee and sleep. I'm happy with that because all I really want to do in my year of traveling is go fishing as much as I can. Mm -hmm. And she didn't actually really want to live in a camper. Uh, She had proposed it. And when I agreed to do it, She was a little like, I guess, kind of put her foot in her mouth because I don't think she really wanted to do that. So she started trying to find like problems with every camper I would choose so that we wouldn't have to go live in a camper. And that's how we ended up with the Airstream because I wanted something small and simple that I could tow down a dirt road. And she told me that if she was going to live in a travel trailer, it needed to be something that she would be proud of. And so she wanted an Airstream, and I, c- I couldn't afford one, you know. But that's when I started looking at older ones. And then the big ones, the 34-footers are the cheapest ones you can get because they're so damn heavy that no one wants them. They weigh 9,000 pounds, you yeah. know. And so it's you have to be a very patient tower to have a trailer like that. I, mean, I could talk about trailers all day. So if you if you need to, miss di- or to direct me away from it. Well,
0: no, I think it's <laughs> – You know, like, so I did that. Basically, I did a month in my van and fixing to fire that thing back up and do a bunch more of it this fall and winter. And, yeah, man, I mean, honestly, I'm very happy with that setup. There's a few tweaks uh, I'd like to make to it, but, I mean, I like that small, just, you know, it's like being a hermit crab, right? You got your house on your back, and it's super mobile. And even though it's a big, long you know, you know, it's like a big church bus or church van. Twenty four foot? Uh, I mean I don't know how long it is. It was a fifteen seater, you know, if you put on, but you know, just like the old style uh it's a Dodge, so it's a B thirty five hundred, but you know, it's like the old E series Ford vans. Uh yeah. and it's kind of a lot on the road, you know, it's big and it's big and long enough, but if you turn thirty six times you can get it turned around on yeah. a dirt road, right? Like you don't have 35 more feet behind you plus yeah. six feet of tongue. Uh, dude, there's just, there's a frustration and an anxiety to like pulling something that big around. Uh, and then even having having a tow rig that's capable of it, like still
1: you're going up mountains, that you're going slow. Oh man, I drive so slow. <laughs> I like, I'm the guy that's creeping up the mountain that makes everyone so mad. But... If it's your home, like I don't didn't have anywhere to go back to. So it's like, I'm not going to be careless with this thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm also not going to risk cooking the transmission on my truck to go up the mountain 10 miles an hour faster to please other people. I just, I've, I got everything I need and everything I own in that vehicle and in the trailer. So It's like, I just drive slow, man. I was 55 all over the entire country. Um, and then some mountains, I remember just going up this mountain pass in Montana I think I was going like 22 miles an hour because I didn't want to put it over 2000 RPMs. I, I just, that truck's old. My camper's old. I would have loved to have bought different things that were newer and could move a little quicker, but it was what I could afford at the time. And, and I wanted to take as good a care of them as possible because they were essentially all I had, you know, and, Katie didn't know anything about towing, and so I had to plan all the routes also so that we didn't get in any hairy situations. Talk about turning around on a dirt road when your rig's 57 foot long and there's no way to see behind it. You know, those airstreams are so dense and it's old and no backup cameras or anything like that. You've got to be so careful with all that you do.
0: Yeah, Mary Ann, sometimes she'll she'll like suggest, Oh, why don't we take the camper here, take it there. And I'm, I'm like, man, I don't want to. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. it's hard work, you know? And it's honestly, it'll just be on me. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, man, it, it's chilling where it is right now. If we got to take it someplace, that's one thing, but I'm not really trying to pack that thing up for like a 36 hour trip. you know, Yeah. Uh, something more s- substantial is different, but, uh, Man there's there's lots of interesting stuff to talk about with your life but so I would think I was thinking about this coming up here. So I've gotten my life to a point where I think for you know some people that I encounter, right? They think I have kind of an enviable life, right? Which in many ways like I'm I'm pretty stoked with my life right now, right? Like I get to do a lot of stuff that uh matters to me and I think is fun and fulfilling and all that stuff. Uh, and there's not really a whole bunch of people that, that I, that I think have something going on that like, I wish I had a little piece of right. But I feel like this last year, which you pulled off, I think that's what maybe one of the enviable things I've seen. Uh, and it's not just that you're like on the road living footloose and fancy free. Cause I, I'm doing it enough. I get that there's a ton of work involved in that, right? Uh, but the fact that you did have yourself set up to where, you know, you could you'd go to a place based off of what it looked like and what it could provide fishing-wise, right? Yeah. And then you could fill in the like the secondary holes of uh, I got to make a living by setting up uh, a visit, a very short visit, but of varying lengths. Uh, To cool tattoo parlors Right People you knew Or had fun Had had fun with before Or whatever This kind of This community You've built up around that And Then you're also Interacting With Everyone that's Coming to see you Is coming to see you Because they already Like you right So you're only Dealing with Not only But you're primarily Dealing with people That are Nice to you Want to be around you Want to hang out with you uh, Appreciate the work And the art That you're making And then you get to go to this boho style camper and and trout fish, right and you know if you follow if anyone listening follows drew uh it is interesting to me this kind of community that you've built up around yourself, so when you release like you were just talking about, you did those prints when you release a piece of art uh and, and you know you kind of do some smaller scale limited edition things. Like, people jump at the opportunity to have that art. So, uh, I mean, look, I'm, only, I'm talking about the social media side of stuff that I see, but it seems like a pretty
1: validating life. I had no intention in getting into the position that I'm in. Uh, it was, like, not a planned thing. It just kind of happened. Uh, and I feel very lucky, absolutely, because I, I have a lot more freedom than your average person. But also, I also don't have children, and I don't, I don't have ambition to ever be like truly wealthy. I don't have health insurance, <laughs> you know. And so, like, I when when it when it comes to like definitions of success, to some people I might be really killing it, and then to other people I might be kind of flailing. But I I feel I feel like the community that I have is the thing I'm most lucky to have, and and it's yeah the whole the tattooing and fishing thing did it brings me a lot of like minded people because people who want to get tattooed by me generally aren't super square humans who I wouldn't want to spend a lot of time hanging out with. So I have people coming and getting in the chair who are like already my friends essentially mm-hmm. people I've never met who they show up and we already have so much in common cause they love fishing enough to come get it tattooed and they love tattooing enough to get something tattooed on them. So it's like, they're already my type of human. I also feel kind of like I'm in an echo chamber sometimes because I surround myself with so many people who are a lot like me as far as that goes, but being able to show up to a place like Montana or Port Angeles, Washington, a small town I've never been to and have a full clientele of people who already know all the best fishing spots who are happy to sit down with you is it's it's like the the one thing I have that I'm like the most excited about, you know, having that level of community accessible to you. And yeah, social media is something that I don't enjoy, but those free apps on my phone do give me a really unique I shouldn't say really unique I always say that my mom would get on to me she'd be like it's either unique or it's not can't be really unique (laughs) but I have a a unique situation because of that because of social media which is silly to say being a guy who has bodysuited tattoos and grew up at punk houses and things like that you you wouldn't think a free app on your phone would dictate so much of your life
0: <clears throat> well, you know, I've thought about this a lot, especially coming out of that that kind of punk rock ethos, right? And and maybe I'm romanticizing this, but I do feel like I kind of got to experience the kind of the like the last of the old days with that stuff, right? Like the way that playing in bands and how shows and touring and all that stuff used to be, which is not how people, most people gain success in music now. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the like big borrowing and stealing to be able to record a record and yeah. then driving around selling CDs out of your car, like all that stuff. Uh, it did build, I mean, I don't even know if it's a thing anymore. It started as like a photocopied kind of newsletter zine, and then it turned into a website. It was called it's called Book Your Own Fucking Life. Okay. And, you know, this is 20 years ago now. It was like the heyday, but it was just like, it was a list of all the different towns, right, that had scenes. Yeah. And this, this was largely like kind of punk rock. It was, you know, I don't know, maybe it crossed into some of that. You know, there was like that anti-folk just... People playing an acoustic guitar and yelling, kind of stuff. Yeah, I was yeah Going yeah. around playing on pickle buckets, but uh, you know, it's like so, so. Sometimes it would be like cool, like legitimate clubs, and sometimes it would just be house shows. And you are always constantly having to rifle through them because half of them wouldn't. It would only work while there was this these certain roommates that like to
1: throw house shows. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So it's like that house that made that zine may have been ended two months before you ever got your hands on the zine so yeah well
0: the zine was like a national thing but that house you know so like in central arkansas right so conway right where we both were right you know there were places like the faulkner house the white house the yellow house yeah pretty simple names yellow house blue house white house faulkner
1: house yeah the white house was the one that was over by hendrix With that kid uh, The guy from uh, Brett from Paul Bear Lived there for a while That's when I started Going to that place Oh did he? I think that's the guy I think that's the house That might have been The yellow house But I didn't live in Conway I lived in Little Rock And that was when I was first old enough To like Start driving to places Where I could go And like Drink and And hang out And so I would Hang out in Conway a lot But in Little Rock It was like The Barton Street house Schiller house There's always It's always some house Named after the road Or the color of it
0: Yeah 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 Uh but there is that kind of do-it-yourself ethos. Uh, there is that – what it ingrained in me is, you know, a a distrust – I don't know, a distrust of, like, the big players, right? Uh, the th- – there being a lot of social capital towards building up a network, yeah, like being able to go – on this trip just with like a network of people and there was you know there was helping each other out right so there's that idea of uh you know you let somebody crash on and look to be totally honest i took advantage of it more than i ever offered i've never been big on just people crashing on my couch but i've definitely slept on plenty of Like Party Dudes floors, right? Yeah, some
1: futons. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Or just like got a shower or, you know, lots of bad uh, vegetarian food, like vegetarian burritos and stuff. But like people would feed you. They'd house you. They'd give you a place to play a show. Maybe you could, you know, maybe all you got was like keg beer and a place to sleep or whatever. But it got you to the next place, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And so I think that, you know, maybe what you've done, maybe a little bit of what I'm able to do, is like kind of the grown up version of that, right? Yeah. Uh, which, like, we were just talking about, like, my whole life seems to just be different iterations of me living in a van, <laughs> driving around. But so, you guys did this year, and I mean, as as I understand it, this was this was kind of like more of an exploratory journey
1: than anything else, right? It. I I like to talk like there was large intention, but ultimately it just kind of was a year. You know what I mean? Like, like it it just was like it, it was born of me wanting to move. I wanted to go live in South Utah after COVID hit, you know, we, I couldn't tattoo and I started my online store really pushing it. And it did well enough that I was like, well, if I can supplement income, maybe we could live in like middle of nowhere, you know? And so there's this little town, Loa, Utah. It's like, Southeastern Utah near Thousand Lakes Mountain. It's like probably two or 300 people. I don't know the population of it. It's a small, small town. And in my head, I'd like romanticize that place as somewhere I wanted to be. It's Like, I want to go live in Utah. I want to live in Loa. And if I need to work, we'll travel. We'll go work in Denver. We'll go work in Salt Lake, whatever we need to do. And we can just hang out all the time and fish. And we won't have real jobs. And that's what it all started as. But then we ended up in the camper because Katie didn't want to travel much more expensive to live in a camper on the road than it is to live in Lower Utah. And so it it ended up being that we were gonna we're going to do our best to just get a year. But we weren't really exploring anything as far as, like, where do we want to be or what life do we want to live or anything like that. It was more or less we were just going just to be new places. And how long would you stay in a given place? So there's where a lot of my issue was because, like, you should stay somewhere for two months. You're like that's where. How long you should go and stay somewhere, if you really want to know the area, like at least two months. But because I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't have the foresight to like really plan, we would stay some places for five days. Sometimes we'd stay somewhere for a month. Um, the most time we spent somewhere I think was seven weeks in south texas and that was just because it was winter time and i couldn't get an rv spot anywhere else because there are so many people traveling now and then you have your snowbirds who come from like michigan and minnesota down to the coast for the you know the winter time and stay in their campers and those are all retired people who plan years in advance so they're like they have those spots booked every single year it's their spot and i just didn't know any of this stuff so We got out on the road and we start going, trying to go to towns like Bozeman. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to go to Bozeman. Let me call and get an RV spot. You can't do that. And I didn't know that you have to book an RV spot in Bozeman a year in advance. And I thought I'd just call the week before I got there because I'm out trying to pursue freedom. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. not trying to plan a year in advance. And it, it really shot me in the foot because we wouldn't get to spend time the amount of time I'd want to spend in the places we wanted. So we really like ended up highlighting smaller towns, not cities. So it'd be like a town that no one had any reason to go to. And that's where we would be. So I didn't tattoo as much as I thought I would because there weren't tattoo shops in places like Plains, Montana or Ald Arco Idaho, whatever little town we could end up because the cities that had the shops, I couldn't get an RV spot close enough to, mm-hmm. um, but it was it was all like product of poor planning and me not understanding the level of freedom that you don't have when your trailer is so big. Like you're talking about doing the van thing. The van thing is where it's at because you can park it anywhere. You can go into any city. You can stay in any parking lot. You could do anything like that. So as far as you don't have to plan in advance, but when you have a 57-foot rig total you got to think really far in advance. And I didn't do that. And sometimes I would get a campsite that would only be available for three days and it'd be like, okay, well we can be here for three days and then we're going to have to move. And so because of that, we just moved so much. The times that we did stay somewhere for a while, we stayed in Tillamook, Oregon for a little over a month. And that was our first time to just be somewhere a month. And I got to know Tillamook and I had like the, I had fishing spots that I liked better than other fishing spots. And that's like, that. that's a really good feeling to be like, oh, I know what I like here. I know where to go here to catch fish. There's a fish that I was trying to catch for four days. And so I made four different hikes to go try to catch this fish that I never got. But I didn't get that experience at a lot of places because we were so busy trying to get so much into a small period of time. I think we averaged 10 days in, in an area and that's not the way that you should really do it.
0: Yeah. There's some, there's some freneticism doing it like that to where, yeah, if you had a, if you had it set up to where, man, I got a place to be for two months, uh, which I'm sure to do that. I mean, if you're just renting an RV spot, right, that would get kind of expensive,
1: Yes and no. There's cheaper RV spots, you know. Um, and we found one in South Texas. I said we stayed there a while. The reason is because I found an RV spot that was $400 a month with all utilities included. Mm-hmm. And But then you go to Glacier National Park area like Kalispell, Montana, and in the middle of summertime, if you can find an RV spot for under $100 a night, you're doing very well. You know, um, I think I paid $130 a night to stay in my own camper in Jeez, Kalispell just to have a place to park and plug in. And I thought it was ridiculous, but then I looked up how much hotels cost and like the motel six, that's like, you know, essentially the, the worst motel in town was like $300 a night. Cause it's just prime time for Glacier national park, but it, it can, it can get expensive. I think moving often is more expensive. A lot of places give you a monthly rate. And I also didn't know that in the beginning that if you can get a monthly rate somewhere, that's a much better thing to do than playing nightly.
0: Or, I mean, I would
1: imagine that you
0: could, you know, especially as you built up communities and knowing people, like there's
1: people that have 20 acres that you could
0: set up there. Or yes,
1: and, and that did happen. The, our, our problem with that is that our camper is 9,000 pounds and it has a very low clearance and it's old. So, like, it it, it was really difficult for us to maneuver through a lot of the places that you would have to go when someone says they have a bunch of acreage you can stay on Mm -hmm. because if there's a quick turn or a quick incline, you can bottom your camper out or get stuck. And so we were a little limited, but we did get to stay on some people's land. When I saw you in Montana, we were staying in front of the house of those people in three forks, Lyle and Angie. Um, that was through the shop. I'd never met them before. Um, I was talking to a guy who owned a tattoo shop in town on Instagram and I told them that I didn't think I was going to be able to come because I couldn't find an RV site. And he was like, well, you can park at their house probably. And I, I, I met them when I pulled up to their house with my camper to live in their front yard. How long did
0: you stay there for?
1: We were only going to be there for like a week and a half. We stayed there almost a month. Um, we were there for three and a half weeks. And I was like, a, They let, let me give them utility money and things like that, which they didn't ask for. They're just so hospitable, but we also, we were pulling up as strangers and like they flew and visited us in Texas when we were there. They're like our good friends now. Mm -hmm. And I, so how, at first I was worried with, it's called mooch docking when you, when you do that. So there's boondocking where you go like stay in the middle of nowhere with a generator and no hookups, and you just kind of are self-contained. But when you're on someone else's land using their stuff, it's mooch docking. And we, with that, I was always worried about wearing out my welcome. Because mm-hmm. it's like you want to carry your weight. you want to. So I show up, I'm like, hey, let me give you utility, buddy. Let me do this. And a lot of people will try to be hospitable to a point that you'll inconvenience them. You know what I mean when someone comes to your sure. house and you're like, "Ah, oh, make yourself at home." And and you don't want to give them like hard guidelines and they try to be a good like they try to be a good guest, but you're just so hospitable that you end up making them a bad guest. And and so I was worried about that where people would be like, "Oh, we don't want to take any money from you. We don't want, you know, help help with utilities even though you're using my utilities." And so I would just always have to like fo- force it.
0: But yeah, no, so you're st- you're talking about not wanting to overstay your welcome
1: at places and, like, people trying to over-accommodate you? Yes. And that, it's just a thing. It's like, it's. I always thought it was a Southern thing, like Southern hospitality, but it's not. It's just, like, human nature to be kind to a point that you end up getting mad at the person you're being kind to because you gave them too much. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, any time that we would go anywhere, I'd always show up and... If we were mooch docking, you'd be like, let me give you some utility money right off the bat. First thing I do when I get there, here's money for utilities. That way this doesn't get weird between us at any point, just in case we're here longer or anything like that. And if we're here too long, I'll give you more money. And if you need me to leave, just tell me and we'll go. That was the only, like, mental deterrence from mooch docking was that you don't want to step on anyone's toes. But we ended up having that happen, like not stepping on anyone's toes, but we, we ended up mooch docking a pretty, pretty good amount. Had. And because of social media, I would have people I'd never met reach out to me and be like, well, you can park at the house for a few days or you can park on my land for a few days. And ended up making a ton of friends, you know, from it and going to people's homes and thinking that you were just going to be using their yard and end up hanging out with them every single day, which was real cool. That Couple there in Three Forks, Lyle and Angie, almost every day that I, we'd sit out front in lawn chairs and just hang out. And I didn't plan that when we rolled up, but very thankful that it got to happen. That again comes from the community of fishing and tattooing, kind of tied together.
0: Well, there is probably some like escapism too, you know, for you know folks that are leading lives with more stability, right?
1: Oh yeah. Lyle's a, an engineer. He's an electrical engineer. And so I, so he has, he doesn't know necessarily his boss's boss's boss. And like when I was there, he got a raise and he, like he, he lives a life that I actually don't understand because I've never taken that traditional approach. And he's a super cool dude. He has a really cool life. He gets to drive all over Montana all the time for his job. But even then, for me, it's more conventional than I'm used to. And so I'm sure when you're in a position like that, having someone who you don't know stay in your yard at a camper is actually kind of a cool thing because it it adds some variety as well for you. I feel like they're just exceptional hosts, and I think they find joy in hosting because Mm -hmm. we weren't the first people to stay there, and we absolutely won't be the last. Well, man, that not wearing out your welcome thing, that's what
0: I found so great about being in the van. Because there were, I mean, there was like one night where I was, I mean, everything had been going great. But, you know, if you're just like paint, if you're just reading the room, you're like, you know what, man? I need to push on. Yeah. I just need to go in. So we had like dinner, had a great time, Uh, you know, had a couple glasses of wine, let that chill out. And then I rolled out at, like, 9 o'clock that night. Yeah. And I only made it, like, 45 minutes down the road, and then I hit a snowstorm, and it was too hard to drive in, so then I pulled over 40 feet off the road and, you know,
1: watched 10 minutes of something on my phone and went to sleep. Yeah, and you weren't wearing out your welcome. And you yeah. might not have been. You might, you know, you sometimes reading the room and, like, picking up on body language like that will shoot you in the foot, because it could be that the person just had dinner and is... Or just has something else on their mind and you're not necessarily wearing out your welcome. You might have pieced out too early, you know, but the beauty of the van is that you have the freedom to go anywhere and still have your house, you know, and so with that, like
0: I also only had to consider myself. Like it's just yeah. you know, like I'm like, man, I could go wherever. I got sandwich meat in the cooler in here, right? I got coffee, I got a debit card, so I got I can get gas in this thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The having, which I don't have kids again, but having to think about my partner and then our animals and like having a cat. So like I can't sleep on the side of the road. So if we're going to, because our cat will freak out every time a car drives by because it moves the camper and cats don't do well in unstable environments. So like, Man, if I would, if we would have not had a cat, it would have made our lives so much easier. But yeah, just having the having to have the forethought to be like, we have to have a place to park that's quiet and level and stable. I I, I just wouldn't do it again like that. If I was to travel full time again, it'd probably only be if I was by myself, and I don't see that happening. You know, I'm about to get married, and so I'm not gonna have that that individualism I guess ever again (laughs) but if if I was to do that if I was to try to be on the road full-time I would want a small trailer or a van but like a little casita or 17-foot trailer that you can bump down a dirt road that would be a good thing to have but the big one's not the way to go again man like I'll talk about trailers all day, Vietnam. Anyone who wants to listen to me talk about trailers, I will talk to them about trailers.
0: <laughs> well, you know what is what I do think is actually important about it is just kind of reminding folks there's a cost for everything, right? Like there's everything cool that someone's doing,
1: there's a there's a price. Absolutely. And it's often a financial price. Mm-hmm. So you look at what people are doing and it's like, man, that looks awesome, but I can't afford it. What I did, the financial cost wasn't what you would expect because I got old things, you know, and I we live pretty cheap. Um but we had to, we had a lot of hard learning to do. And I, as I said, I didn't know anything about travel trailers. And so the first time like we we get our travel trailer and Katie will hopefully forgive me for this. Uh, for saying this, not for doing this because i've I have to forgive her for doing this, but so we get our travel trailer it's got a bathroom in it, so use the bathroom in the camper that's part of living in a camper is you carry your black tank you've got all your sewer with you you know if if you're not hooked up directly to drain your sewer, you're carrying yesterday's poop around or the day before's poop around, but we didn't know anything about black tanks or travel trailers at all and so i just bought a black tank hose from the store to what they sell it's a three inch black tank hose well we have a four inch adapter which is kind of unorthodox but i didn't know that you have to like special order four inch adapters because you can't get them anywhere but i don't know these things so i get out there the first time i ever go to drain the black tank and i had not been using the bathroom in the camper yet We were traveling a lot and I had like travel guts, so I didn't wake up every morning to have to use the bathroom, you know. And I go out to drain the black tank for the first time and the hose didn't fit, but I don't know how they are supposed to lock in because I've never used one and I don't know what I'm doing. So I just hold this thing up there and I'm like, yeah, that feels like it's fit in. And I pulled the plug and I got covered in my girlfriend's poop. We've been on the road for like five days, so we're still. Very, very new. She comes out around the trailer, <laughs> and I'm sitting on the ground. I'm so mad. I'm so embarrassed, too, because I, I want to be the guy who knows things. You know, like, that's a, it's like a, a human trait. It's hubris. The The original sin is Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge. Like, from the very beginning of time, humans first sin was wanting to be the person who knew things, you know? And so like, I want to be the guy who knows this stuff. I want to be the guy who knows what he's doing. And so to get covered in fecal matter from a black tank. And it wasn't necessarily all Katie's because this is an old trailer. It could have been someone's from 20 years ago that was in there that had been dried up and (laughs) reanimated. But I just didn't know this stuff. It was such a hard learning curve. And that's what I think we really paid as far as our price goes Mm -hmm. was a lot of like egg on the face situations where it was like, you got to learn the hard way. And If I was financially equipped, I would have preferred to have just paid paid and had all the nice stuff that I could have used and had someone teach me how to use it. But we had to get out there and figure it out. And it's so funny the way that social media works because you put a picture up of your travel trailer the morning that you end up getting covered in your girlfriend's poop out of, you know. Twenty minutes later, and then for the rest of the day, people are messaging you, being like, "Man, you're living the dream." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe someone's dream, you know, <laughs> because there's probably someone out there who really wants to be covered in that, but not. <laughs> it wasn't my dream to to be covered in poop that day, and that that's another you know double edged sort of social media is you kind of see the good and you don't see the bad because I'm not gonna put up a video of me looking all disgusting on the ground covered in doo. <laughs> yeah and then my poor my poor uh girlfriend katie she, she, you know i've i've absolutely embarrassed her all the time talking about trailer poop stories but like that's part of living the dream is like the responsibility that comes with things like that and it's really like once you get used to it and know what you're doing if you actually know what you're doing it's really easy You know, once I got the right parts and things like that, I just didn't. Yeah, yeah. it's hooking up a hose, pulling a lever, and it and waiting. Yeah, Yeah. and and that's it. It's just flushing a toilet essentially. But when you have no clue, and I had no clue, and then having the hubris that you have, where it's like, well, I got to, I know what I'm doing, you know. And everyone wants to think that, even when they don't. And I totally didn't understand a lot of the intricacies of the lifestyle that we had chosen, you know? And so I was just winging it. We had fiascos happen. We were driving through Portland, Oregon, five o'clock traffic. It's like five lanes of 50 mile an hour traffic. And some guy pulls up next to me to tell me I lost a wheel. Mm. I thought he meant I had a flat tire. I lost a hub assembly. I lost the entire wheel. Um, I had had my bearings packed Professionally, because there's not grease certs on this old camper mm-hmm. on those axles. And so you have to hand pack them. And I had them done before we left. I started doing it myself after this. Um, but one of my axles didn't get a cotter pin put through the castle nut. Yeah. And so it took us from Arkansas to Oregon before it spun its way off. But, um, yeah, our castle nut came off. Wheel went flying, stripped the spindle. Wheel was probably in Blackberry Bramble right in Portland, you know? And so not only did I not have a wheel, I had no ability to put another wheel on cause I was missing a hub assembly. And then this was in the prime of supply chain shortages. So I couldn't just get it. It took me, we, we ended up in Portland for almost two weeks trying to round up the parts for me to put on a new hub assembly. And six lugs, which it's a six lug hub assembly, there's only two types. And I found a trailer supply store in town, and they sold me the wrong hub assembly in the right hub assembly's box. And the difference is like a sixteenth of an inch inside the race, but Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. So I spent a week thinking that I was doing something wrong because I couldn't get this little bit of play out of this hub. I was afraid to drive it. And I'm glad I didn't because it was the wrong hub assembly. It was finally like a week later that I took one off the other side and wiped all the grease off of them and measured everything. It was like, oh man, those guys totally screwed me. And I had no idea. And I I went back, took them the hub assembly, and they argued with me that it was the right one until they measured them. And they're like, oh, well, I guess it was in the wrong box. You know, there's like no accountability.
0: Yeah, of course not. Yeah.
1: But that was just like the fiasco of living on the road and learning how to do those things. Also, there was so much cool and unique stuff that happened though, that told you that's where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So that hub assembly gets lost and I go looking for it. I'm trying to find my wheel. So I'm uh, like, we're actually not in Portland. We are right over the bridge in Vancouver. So there's a the river, it's a river city, yeah. but we were, I mean, I see downtown Portland from where I was standing, you know, and it see was
0: that see the tents yeah for miles. well yeah.
1: luckily in vancouver it's a, it's not quite as bad but yes and and it's it's so gnarly up there right now so i run back to go get my wheel and i'm going to look to where where it had come off and i'm i'm like not even a half mile from my trailer which is on the side of the road in heavy traffic and i look up and i see that there's a truck Hold over behind my trailer Katie is there by herself and I I got really ner- nervous and worried because it's like well she's on the side of the road by herself anyone could get her in that trailer you know mm-hmm. like so I start running back you know I'm like I have actual fear and my eyes aren't good enough for me to see that she's still standing outside the trailer talking to someone the truck was kind of in the way too so I get closer and I see that she's standing out of the trailer, and I'm like, all right, thank goodness. Let me go talk to this guy. I'm sure he's just going to be like, so you lost your wheel or whatever. you know. And I pull up, and it, like, it is my childhood best friend who I lived in my first apartment with. We were less than a mile from his house when we lost the hub assembly and broke down on the side of the road. And I grew up with this dude in Sherwood, Arkansas, and he lives in Vancouver, Washington now. And I knew he was there. We were going to we were going to go by their house. That was where we were headed when it happened. But I didn't realize like we were this close. And he just happened to be driving by. I've only seen this dude once in 15 years. He was my best friend for my entire youth. Started me skateboarding and all those things. And he happened to be driving by and pulled over to check on us. And helped us get the trailer back to his house. Drove real slow behind us. And then he's like this, the handiest guy in the world. Because I didn't know how to even change a hub assembly or anything like that was my first time doing it. Now I feel like I know what, uh, I feel like I'm almost an expert on hub assemblies after having the wrong one for a week Mm -hmm. and learning every single piece of one. But there was a bunch of stuff like that where it's like you break down on the side of the road and then the guy who helps you is a dude you grew up with who wasn't expecting you to be there, who was just stopping to help some people, you know? And like we had stuff like that happen so much Where we'd pull over on the side of the road in rural Idaho, and some guy would pull over who was driving past the only car, the only other car on the road, pulls over to walk up and be like, Hey, man, I follow you on Instagram. Let me shake your hand. Like, so many weird little things like that that would tell you, like, you are where you're supposed to be, even if this is difficult. And it is a joy to live on the road. I don't want to sound like I'm bashing it, but it also wouldn't be near as interesting, right? Like, if every
0: day was just like, wake up and, like, the birds are singing and you're next to the Snake River and you're just going to go over there and catch a 35-pound trout. Yeah, yeah. Like, that
1: would get... Old, yeah. yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. I always... Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do. It wouldn't matter if, like, your job was riding a magic carpet, testing out blowjob machines. Eventually, you're going to get sick of it. Yeah, know? sure. <laughs> no matter what it is. And so, yeah, having those those moments of, like, difficulty really did make the good days like absolute gems. Cause it, yeah, I mean it was, it was a really good year. I, w- I would do it differently now if I had to do it again, knowing what I know now, but I'm so thankful I did it. And there's people who've lived in travel trailers on the road for like 10 years, you know, like people who've been full timers for that long. And my, my hats are, my hats off to those people. Cause it is it's so difficult.
0: Well, you know, the thing, too, about driving big stuff is it's really intimidating at first. And then it's always weird to me when you just kind of cross, you cross this threshold and then you realize that you're not freaked out. Uh, There used to be, there were times, you know, it was like two o'clock in the morning and I was, uh. Like, the the driver for the fire truck was sick that day, so I bumped up. So normally I was a hoseman, but, you know, I drove plenty. And it's like 2 in the morning, and you, like, just got woken up by an alarm, and 30 seconds later you're driving, like, 60 miles an hour in the rain, just, like, flying down Canis
1: Road. In a 48-foot truck, too. Dude,
0: with 500 gallons of water with air brakes, I mean – you should have to have a CDL to drive that. Yeah. You don't if you're on the fire department. Just, you know, yeah. driving around, going through tiny places, and, uh, <clears throat> I mean, shoot, full disclosure, man, you know, like I, I nicked a few things with the fire truck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was, like, a, a couple very small yeah. small fender bender type things. But, yeah, man, you just you get used to it, and then – or I remember just anything that seems hard at first. I remember one of the first times I went into the woods – like at, uh, before daylight to like get set up to go bow hunting yeah. and like how, excuse me, how like unsettled I was and I'd hear things and you know, I was like kind of afraid, right? Yeah. Now I know, I mean, it's either a possum or a coon or a deer walking around in the dark. There's, you know, it's not a grizzly bear in Arkansas trying to get me, but yeah, man, you just. You do hard stuff until they're not. It's not hard anymore, and uh, things being hard makes you appreciate when stuff is seems effortless.
1: I, I feel that you should do hard things till they're not hard anymore, and then take on more. Yeah, and yeah, I've never been good at like being like, "All right, I got this thing figured out. I'm good now." It's like, "All right, now I got to try something different." and that's where I'm trying to figure out where to head right now, you know, essentially after moving here. Oh,
0: Segway, man.
1: Yeah, Segway. So
0: we've been talking about uh, pooping and stuff for a while here <laughs> with the campers. <laughs> but we haven't really talked very much about the fishing part of stuff. Uh and <clears throat> so I'd say like right now they're like on Instagram, right? Like there's there's quite a few people that are making like trout stickers right like that's yeah yeah. there's kind of a there's a little bit of invogueness to to fly fishing maybe beyond kind of the traditional uh population that's doing it right yeah Uh, like you you don't uh present as like a river runs through it type of guy right yeah uh but that's also part of what makes it interesting right because people love a good juxtaposition right yeah so like folks I think folks like seeing you like all tatted up and you're like, you know, your palms or your hands are tatted up. Like this is real deal. Like you look like you do what you do for a living. Right. Uh, and then there's this juxtaposition with this form of fishing that not only, I think a lot of people see it as kind of removed from mainstream rod and reel fishing. Uh, but I mean, there's even layers to that, right? Like what's it called? Like tinkari or something.
1: Yeah, that's essentially cane pole fishing with yeah. a fly rod. Um so fly fishing has always been seen as pretentious. It's like stereotypically a pretentious thing and I have learned why because there's a lot of pretentious fly fishermen. It's uh
0: um, well, you know what it is, it's heavy with gatekeeping. Duck hunting, waterfowl is the same way. There's a lot of gatekeeping. Yeah. Uh and uh and then I think you take like, you know, like traditionally a popular is like Think of old, rich, white guys doing it, right? Yeah. And so then you get work into gatekeeping with that, and then anybody, quote-unquote, non-traditional.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? There's these other perceived, either there or perceived barriers. Yeah. Uh, and then there is, I mean, it's just like with duck hunting, man. There's there's some pretentious a-holes
1: that yeah. have big voices. There's right? just people who are pretentious out there. I, I grew up a skateboarder, and – you have all your different, you know, genres of skateboarding, where it's like street skateboarding or vert skateboarding, and then it gets really like limited sometimes, where it's like why well, skate transition only? So I only skate like swimming pools and hard fast transition, and you get these people who they judge you based on what you're doing because it's not what they're doing, mm-hmm. and that's every niche or subculture. It's across just the human board. nature, um, man. I. I there's a Bible verse for it. And when I'd say this, I'm not a religious man. I, I do talk about the Bible a lot. This is talking about, I mentioned Adam and Eve earlier, just because that's the earliest reference that I am familiar with of human interaction. So, you know, if someone like takes a picture with a homeless man after they give him a meal and puts it on social media and they're like kind of virtue signaling, yeah. there's actually a verse for that because people did that exact same stuff 2,000 years ago when this verse <laughs> yeah, was sure. written because it's just human nature. Um, Proverbs twenty-one two says, Every man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. And the Lord weighs the heart part isn't what I'm getting at. It's that every man is right in his own eyes. Everyone feels that what they're doing is what everyone should be doing because that's why they're doing it. They feel like it's what they're called to do. Like if I'm a fly fisherman, you know, technically, because I love to fish with a fly rod – And I look at other fishing sometimes and I have to check myself because it's like, well, that'd be harder with a fly rod or, oh, well, they're doing it this way. And it's not that I'm right. I just am doing it the way that I like to do it. But in duck hunting and fly fishing and everything you get where any anything really that can get truly niche where people kind of get on that high horse where it's like, well, I'm doing this the most ultimate way. And anyone who's not doing it my way is wrong or they're not good enough or they don't care enough. And that's a that's a hard thing sometimes for people to get past because you have to check your ego and get past your hubris there. But if you really truly care about fishing, like I love fishing. I I, I like fly fishing, but I just love fishing. And so you gotta be able to appreciate every type of it just like if you really like skateboarding and you see some kid who's doing his first kickflip or whatever you should be just as hyped for them as for anyone because if you truly love it then you should love all aspects of it you shouldn't try to control it and make it only you know the way that you see it try to try to make everyone understand how you do it is the right way and I think that's a poisonous mentality and in fly fishing being it is a pretentious sport traditionally because there's so much of that. There's, there's so much of like the mindset that this is the way it has to be done. I'm I'm sure with waterfowl, it's the same thing, but if you want to approach something effusively, you should approach it in a way of like general open-mindedness and be like, man, I, I just, I love fishing and you love to hunt, you know? And like, trying to tell people they're doing it wrong as long as they're following the rules and not poaching don't bother me if they're doing it different than i am you know i i i I don't really know how how to even think about it but yeah we were talking about me being a very tattooed fly fisherman and how it's kind of a, a funny thing in a pretentious sport i get that vibe from people sometimes um particularly going into fly shops or talking to people on the river where people want to flex their knowledge and tell you what you're doing is wrong or how you could be doing things better. And because I look the way I look, a lot of times I'm going to get talked to like, I don't know what I'm doing mm-hmm. because I don't look the part. <clears throat> I was fishing the little red river here in Arkansas, um, probably about six, seven years ago. My buddy, Ryan Burke, ties flies and he's fished that river forever. And he's a really skilled angler, just really fishy guy. I don't call a lot of people fishy. He's very fishy. And Ryan was meeting me in the parking lot to sell me some flies. So we were like doing like a drug deal essentially with flies where I told him, you know, tie me a couple hundred dollars of flies or whatever. And we were meeting to do this deal And I just had a really cool moment where I'd like walk down to the river and I was throwing like a big sculpin pattern on, on like floating line. You should, shouldn't, shouldn't have been doing what I was doing. I was basically just messing around, but I thought it would work. And I caught like a really old, large brown trout, you know, like probably a 10 pound fish. It was, it was a big fish. It was like 27 inches, but little Red River fish are really tall. 27-inch fish on the White River might be 6 pounds, but on Little Red, that's a 10-pound fish. And uh, some older guy comes up to us in the parking lot, and Ryan, who's a professional fly tire, is there selling me flies, and I just caught this really old brown on foot. I wasn't from a boat. I didn't have a guide. I did it myself. And this guy comes up to us and starts telling us how what he's selling me isn't going to work and that we need to be using this egg that he ties and this thing that he ties, and these are the colors... And it's like, man, you're just a—you're walking up to two strangers you don't even know to tell them that they're doing something wrong, because they're not doing it the way that you did it. But I'm not here to catch the ten-inch rainbow trout that you caught. I'm here to catch that old brown trout, you know. So, like, maybe you're wrong, and I don't—I'm not going to spend my time challenging some sixty-year-old dude on the river to think differently. But it—it it is a. I think it's just human nature to think that way, to think that you know you, you're right, and the way that you do things is right. I, I know I totally got off on this tangent talking about juxtaposition position of being a heavily no go, fly for fisherman, it, man. go for it, but yeah, I think it's just it's just human nature. But I feel like to be better, we should look past that and try to strip things down to their purest form, where it's like, man, I love I love fishing you know, I love tattooing. I love my job. I love everything about it. There are times that I find myself judging other tattooers based on the style of art that they do because I feel like they're doing a disservice to tattooing. But I also have to challenge myself to look at it for what they're doing and be like, well, they have really great application skills and well, they're really good artists or whatever. And while I don't think this has integrity to last long term, they still have skills and they still deserve credit. And if I truly love this thing, then I should find something from them that I like appreciate. Mm-hmm. Find find something good from it rather than just trying to be a hater. In the pursuit of freedom, like the freedom to let yourself be kind is something that a lot of people overlook and that's something that I'm currently in pursuit of trying trying to be better at that trying not to feel like what I'm doing is right and that everything else is wrong trying to feel like like if I if I really love the things that I'm surrounding myself with then I should be happy when anyone does them no matter how they do it I've never been like a big bait fisherman you know like with what you do for going out for catfish and yo-yoing and things like that, like completely beyond me as far as like the understanding of it. But, oh man, <coughs> but I, uh I love fishing and I know I would have a blast if I was doing it. So why wouldn't I, you know? So yeah, like the Zebco 33 we were talking about earlier. I I use an actual button reel and like a traditional Zebco 33 and I go fishing with that pretty often now because I want to be back to my roots and I want to be back to like why I love fishing. And since we've moved here to Russellville, I've spent more time fishing locally with that little Zebco that I have with a fly rod. And I look forward to continue to do that because it's the purest form of of it to me like people like oh what's the word things that aren't automatic but not it's not manual oh my brain is eluding me um fly fishing essentially is like driving a standard if you're a car guy Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like you're you're there, there's a you're one of the moving parts you know what, I, what i'm getting at there where it's like all right if i don't do these things exactly this machine isn't going to work correctly and so driving an automatic would be like the zebco 33 you know and i learned to drive in a standard but i still feel like like i learned to fish with a zebco 33 and so when i do that i feel like i'm at the purest form rather I like fly fishing a lot of people call it a, a pure sport and there's purist in fly fishing. They have all these high opinions of what it should be. But I think my purest form of fishing is walking a creek with a Zebco and throwing rooster tails for little panfish and whatever else will eat them.
0: Yeah, man. And, a <clears throat> uh, a rooster tail. I mean, hell I got one tattooed on my yeah, wrist, man. I mean, yep. it's like, it's a hell of a, you know, you know what it is it's the same thing what you're talking about that setup there's a reason it's endured yeah right it's like it's like the shotgun i shoot right like i shoot like at 870 i think there might be kind of a switch this year finally but uh i've had people in the last couple of years kind of like feel bad for me or like chuckle at me and it's not that i can't have a benelli or something it's that this is what feels right to me and it works and works and works and I can take it apart in the dark and put it back together and it it removes it using that removes that as a limiting factor for me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's lots of other limiting factors, my skill level, my ability to stay still, me being able to aim correctly, but that thing working, I'm never I'm never worried about it. Yeah, you,
1: know? you don't have to question it.
0: Uh Man, let's talk briefly about you want to about fishing for tattoos?
1: Yeah, yeah. I um Yes. I. You have to totally direct me, man. Also, I should say, since living in Russellville, because I don't know anyone here yet, when I am around someone who I like, can have a conversation with, dude, I talk way too much. So if at any point you're like, hey, man, just shut up about that for a minute. No, this is, <laughs> this is literally this is what the podcast is, is. It's designed to just be a ramble. Okay. Yeah, I went down to ICAST a couple weeks ago. And the first day, I was so excited just to be around people that I don't think anyone even got to say anything to me. I was just like, hey, what's up? I'm Drew. What's going on? What do it." I was just so excited. Um, so the Fishing for Tattoos thing, it's a YouTube series I'm working on. I am still defining it and figuring out exactly what I want from it. And I have so many things that I'm always trying to do that I I haven't really narrowed my focus to this. I don't know if I will, you know, but essentially what I'm doing is I'm taking people fishing and then they're getting tattooed based on their fishing experience. And I'm letting the person determine like, like them as a person, not like their choices, but them as a person determine what the theme of the episode's going to be. So I might make a bet with someone about if you can't catch this fish, you have to get this tattoo. Or I might ask them what they want tattooed, and if they say, like, a brown trout, I might say, well, I'll take you fishing for browns. If you can get one over 20 inches, we'll do it this way. But if you can't get one over 20 inches, we're going to do it this way. I don't want anyone to walk away from it with a tattoo that they're ashamed of. Mm -hmm. So I'm picking... People specifically who are like, like, cause I don't want any episodes to be the same either. So like I had one where I took a guy red fishing and I bet him that if he couldn't get a red fish over, I think it was 25 inches, he had to get a mullet tattooed, but he'd never been red fishing before. And we had terrible conditions and it was like, we're fishing from kayaks. Yeah. And it was hard work, but he ended up getting his fish. And I mean, I'm not going to make people a bet and then try to lead them in the wrong direction unless they're being arrogant. You know, he, he was there to learn and have fun. And so we got him on his fish and we got him on a handful of good fish and he ended up getting a little redfish tattoo. But then my second episode, I took a father and daughter fishing. She's nine years old and I guided the daughter And we just tattooed her dad based on everything that she caught. So there was, I'm not going to put that pressure on a nine-year-old to be like, you got to catch a big fish because I want her to enjoy being there. Um, So like she snagged a rock on bottom and we actually pulled it up rather than just the fly coming off. A rock came up so like, and she caught a leaf. So he got a rainbow trout with a rock and a leaf involved. We tried to involve the entire day uh, and and figure out what his tattoo was going to be based on that. I've got a lot of plans for it. I, I had I, I had brought COVID home from ICAST, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, but I had a pro skateboarder coming out, David Gravette from Portland, and we had to cancel his trip the morning of the flight, <coughs> which was a real bummer because he's covered in silly tattoos. And I was going to get to make him like, kind of extravagant bet to be like, if you can't catch a fish this big, you've got to get this dumb tattoo. And it was going to be my first one to really do just a good, dumb tattoo, like a fish with boobs or something like that, you know, because it wouldn't have – he would have been stoked on it no matter what it was.
0: Yeah, whereas I would not let you tattoo a fish with boobs on
1: me. Probably. I don't think I would. You have to – have to live with that one. I feel like this particular guy, David, I think he's got boobs and like 10 different tattoos on his legs or something like that. And so he he wouldn't have cared. He would have just thought it was funny no matter what.
0: Well, you know, that's like a – so that's a thing too with tattoos. Like people do that so differently. Some folks, you know, like the – where you like put a quarter in and you like twist it and you just get whatever they give you. Get what you, you get. Like, they get what you get, or uh, and then you got to pay, whatever, 25 bucks more if you want a different spin if you don't like that. Uh, Or there'll be, like, uh, Friday the 13th tattoos, right? Or someone, I mean, there are people that is going, just love somebody's work, and they'd say, man, whatever you want to do. Yeah. I got a back. You put whatever you want on me. Yeah. Right? Uh, And I sit around, like, I didn't get a tattoo for seven years. I just like didn't have anything that made sense and and I specifically I told someone this the other day and and it's just like what your influences are right yeah. so uh I've never been like a sleeve guy, yeah. right, like I started seeing folks I don't know maybe fifteen years ago or something. I'd see somebody, and then two weeks later I'd see them and they'd have like a sleeve like they sat down and they banged it out, yeah. And like this is look, this is my personal opinions. I was always like, no, nah, man. I was like, you gotta earn that thing and get a bunch of weird beats. You gotta get a bunch of crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah I want to see your sticker collection essentially. Yeah, yeah not basically. your poster on your wall. I want yeah. the collection. Like,
0: yeah, I'm trying to look like a like a door at a club, right? Yeah. Uh which is just I mean that's that is my uh aesthetic for it, right? And I'll never end up with as many tattoos. As some people, uh, but yeah, dude, I love the idea for the show. I think it's super clever. It also, I think it's like you know pretty demonstrable of who you are, right? So, it's it, it seems like a very a very honest snapshot of it. Like specifically the one with the little girl, uh, because yeah, I mean that was just kind of like a nice heartwarming moment. From a person that, like, you know, some people would think is scary looking, right? Oh. Well, you
1: know, it's funny. So, I I don't think I'm 6'3 anymore, but when I was younger, I was 6'3. I think after being hunched over tattooing for so long, I think that I've lost some height. I'm probably 6'2 now. But to be a tall, large, heavily tattooed man doesn't actually carry weight as far as scary anymore. You don't think think so? I don't think so. Maybe in like a bar scenario, because I feel like if there's ever a tough guy at the bar, they always single me out. Like, you know, like the prison style, like pick the biggest guy and take him down. I feel like every tough dude is always trying to fight me to prove something. Um, So maybe there is that aspect of like people might still think that I look like I might be tough or scary, but like that girl, Kaya, uh, she's nine. I think she's ten now. Um she wouldn't need to be afraid of me. I think most kids don't ever look at me and feel that because I'm always nice. Like Well, maybe not a kid, man, but
0: I mean I just imagine I mean, so we're in Russellville, right? Yeah. Russellville's what? Uh I don't know. It's in the western western third of uh Arkansas, right? Yeah. So we're starting to approach Fort Smith. Move into Oklahoma if you keep going down forty. Yeah, uh, probably no surprise. It's not known as a as a bastion of a <laughs> cultural <laughs> yeah cultural liberalism, right? Differences. But, yeah, but like I even think like specifically, uh, and we talked about this because I was kind of considering some stuff about a year ago, man. But like finger tattoos, right? Yeah. Or even though that's become more common, like you know, girls with mustaches on the side of their finger, like palm of your hand there's still differences right like neck maybe not anymore because suburban kids have face tattoos but no
1: there's still some differences i like there's some things that are badges that you can still wear that like they don't mean you're a hard ass the way they did you know like like used to see a guy with a neck tattoo and you'd stay away from him, and because anyone who would get their neck tattooed was obviously off their rocker. Yeah, that's a deviant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, now a neck tattoo isn't as big of a deal, but to me there's still badges, like where you see and it's like, that dude's, he's got that. Like, that dude's tough. See people with their palms tattooed. I, I don't really think face tattoos that way, but head tattoos, I still think people with head tattoos, I have my head tattooed, but I still like see people with head tattoos and I'm like, that scary. You know, and like, if I ever see anyone that has the center of their armpit done, I'm always like, that dude's tough. Or that woman's tough, whatever. There's a, I was going to the gym a lot some years ago, and there was a girl at the gym who was like a really unassuming, small, kind of mousy girl. It was real quiet. And one day I saw her doing pull downs, like lap pull downs, and she lifted her arm up and she had both her armpits tattooed with like peony flowers or something like that, like a very feminine tattoo. But it's like, that girl's scary. <laughs> you, know? What, you know, I saw this the other day. What do you think about, and I didn't know
0: this was a thing until like just very recently. What do you think about this lidocaine cream?
1: Oh, oh yeah. So um, I don't think about it, essentially. Like I don't. I don't, if my client came in and they wanted it and they brought it, I would use it. I I don't feel about tattooing where it's like, you got to earn every little bit of it or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, they do hurt. It sucks when you get heavily tattooed and you get to where it's like, you're limited on, on space and you get down to the areas where it's just like, I call it the sweet meat where you have like your very inner thighs or, or something like that. It's like the very painful, Hard to get to areas. If someone wants to use lidocaine for that, that's fine. Um, I've had numbing stuff put on once, and it was on my head. But it was the kind that you put on once the skin's already open. So it like soaks in. And I'm dumb. And the way that we did it was like we did the outline. Then we put some of the stuff on. Then we filled it in. And it helped for about maybe 15 minutes. Once we started again, but there wasn't enough skin open from the outline for it to really soak in and do its job. And then after we so I have a osprey holding a brown trout on my scalp with some background, like Japanese wind bars and maple leaves. And we did the outline for the bird, filled it in. Then we drew the background on, outlined it, and then filled it in. So there's never really a time that the numbing stuff could actually help me because of the order that we went and did things. I would have killed for some lidocaine then because about eight hours into getting your head tattooed, I mean, I threw up, and, like, yeah, I had to run to the bathroom. I almost, like, pooped in my pants several times. It was just, like, the first few hours are really easy, but by the end, it was, you couldn't, can't get away from it because it's on your head, you know? Like, you can't mentally check out when you're getting your skin. Yeah, you know, out. maybe
0: that's the other thing I like is that I don't have anything <laughs> that takes much longer than an hour.
1: That's where it's at. Like, man, let me just talk about that. If you could just get little tattoos like that, And just get them when you're going through stages in your life, palm-sized stuff, baseball-sized stuff, where it's like, you know, I'm really on this kick right now. And You just go get a tattoo for it. To me, if I could start over right now and have a clean slate and start getting tattooed again, that's how I would do things. It'd be like, you know what? I'm learning to juggle. I'm getting a juggling tattoo or something like that. Like I've put enough time in my life to try to do this. I'm going to get something to memorialize it. And then 10 years later, even if I hadn't tried to juggle in 10 years, I would still have that reminder of that temporary fleeting moment in my life. Yeah. 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 And that's what makes a tattoo cool. So you're talking about people go in and get a whole sleeve laid out and all that and how you feel like they didn't, you got to earn it, you know, by getting like the little ones that is, to me, the main appeal in getting little stuff is like that it can really reflect who you are. But art collectors and people like that who end up doing like, there's my boss in Fayetteville, Tim. He's got, I always call anyone I've ever worked for my boss still. Even if I haven't worked for him for 10 years, still call him my boss. Don't, it's a habit. I just don't know why. But Tim has a kid who came in and got a Japanese bodysuit. It's like a once in a lifetime client. Came in, his first tattoo was a full bodysuit. So ankles to, to wrists, you know, all the way solid kid is just, just hundreds of hours of tattooing. And it's his first one. And like, to me, that's, it's mind blowing. Cause it's so rare. Cause usually you dip your toe in the water, you figure out if you like it and then you figure out if you want to swim, you know? And like for a kid to just be like, you know what? I think I'm going to get a tattoo. I think I'll just get my whole body, you know? Like, that's unbelievable. So I give that kid a lot of props for earning it. Um, but, yeah, I think if you come in and you just get a sleeve and you just start that way, I always do feel like that doesn't really reflect you long-term because you're dedicating such a large portion of skin to to one thought. You know what I mean? Where yeah,
0: like, I mean, I think that's what my, if I have a critique of it, I mean, obviously, like this is literally like, your body, your choice, right? Like, yeah, do whatever yeah. you want with it, right? Uh, but, yeah, that's why, like, I've got some weird beater tattoos, right? Like, I got I got this terribly drawn 95 Dodge Caravan on my arm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I don't regret any of them, though, because they are. They're all, like, journal entries in my life, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that's what's – I mean, just for me, so we're talking about all these incredibly – intimate and personal ways to live a life right what you choose to do for a living what you choose to do with your time who you choose to spend it with uh how you physically present yourself like these are all personal choices yeah uh you know and i don't know that like i was talking to someone the other day and they were you know it was that quote about like there's no original ideas anymore the originality is like you taking these different influences and then smushing them up through whatever your, you know, Play-Doh dispenser is, yeah. and you just keep shoving more stuff in it, and so sometimes you get like the spaghetti that looks like rainbows, and then sometimes it's going to be blue, 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 yeah. blue because that's the kick you're on. Uh, and I mean, to me, that's the interesting part of, of living and building and creating a life. Uh, but so you're doing this, you're doing this series. I'm interested to see where it goes. Uh, but you've got other. You've got other stuff up on YouTube, right? So what's the YouTube channel called? It's
1: just under Driller, D-R-W-L-R. Um, yeah, so it's Drew L-R, right? Yeah. Drew Little Rock. Yeah. My sister's name's Jewel. My name's Drew, obviously. <laughs> my mom, when I was young, would get real like we were always bickering and fighting. I was not a necessarily a problem child, but I wasn't a great kid. But we'd always be fighting, and my mom would yell at us. That she would call me drool, like mixing our names up unintentionally. And it happened so much. And I'm from Little Rock. So when I made Instagram and I was like, I'm going to do this drool, spelling drool or, or drooler, like D-R-O-O-L-E-R was taken. And so I was like, I'll do it drooler. And I was like, that's clever. And then it ended up being L R because, because I'm from Little Rock and everyone thought it was that, but it was meant to be Drooler.
0: Oh, man, that's that's Inside Baseball right there. Yeah,
1: yeah, but that's what the YouTube channel's under. Um, I'm bad at YouTube. Like, I don't like talking to a camera. Um, I don't like having pictures of myself taken, so, I like, trying to be on camera talking is really hard for me. But I do, like, my sister is a professional YouTuber, and she's exceptional. She teaches people to grow food. Um Roots and Refuge Farm. And she's she's just so good and she's got stupid amount, like hundreds of thousands subscribers. She kills it and she was the one who suggested I make a channel. She was like, Well you live a really neat life. I think people would really enjoy it. But then I just document it so poorly. I'll film a lot. Like I'll have a camera, I'll film all sorts of stuff. But then it just sits on a file on a computer, you know, on a backup drive or something like that. It's thunder
0: and That's hard, thunder, man. It's thunder. huh? Yeah.
1: It's sunny outside. That's a little summertime. It's a hundred degrees outside. Dude, since being in Russellville, I've seen that more than anything. This place is wild. It's like I moved here very unexpected of what life in Russellville would be like. And I, you know, I've lived in Little Rock for a long time, lived in Fayetteville for a long time and then traveled around. Um,
0: there's the, uh, but,
1: uh, the formerly mentioned Katie bean. Yeah. She's here. My bean. Okay. Go into the shop. Okay. What's up? But yeah, since moving here, I was really thrown for a loop of what I expected, I guess, because we stayed in so many small towns all around the country. You know, you think you have a really firm understanding of small town life and, the weather here has been different. People here behave differently. Everything about this town has just been a little strange as far as the adaptation goes and like getting used to my surroundings. Fishing's different. I fished in Arkansas my whole life. Fishing here is very different. Russellville is it's is a particular place, man. They got that power that nuclear power plant that probably has something to do with it. The cloud machine, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it looks like I mean it looks like the Simpsons. Deal. Yeah, the
1: Simpsons, one, for uh, sure.
0: But yeah, I mean all the coolest people I've ever known from Russellville. I didn't meet them
1: in Russellville. Yeah, <laughs> they like left, you know. Yeah, Andy Wars from Russell. Yeah, I lived with K- Andy Katie back in and the day. him. Grew up together. Um yeah, there's I've actually known a bunch of really awesome people from here um over the years when I was playing music and stuff like that. But we've played a house show at Russellville a lot. So forever coming here to do that and it being super fun so I know that there's those things here I'm just older now and I just don't like what what am I going to do be at the house show at with a bunch of 17 year olds yeah. getting drunk you I, would, <laughs> I would suggest you not do yeah that. exactly so it's like all the things that I would have probably liked like subculture wise that were actually thriving here when I was younger They're probably still here. I don't really know. I saw a flyer at the skate park. I still ride my skateboard a lot. I was at the skate park and I saw a flyer for some house show, and it's like that little bit of me was like, "Oh, cool! You better not take your ass to no house. I'm not going. I'm not (laughs) going." If you know, it's funny now because if I was to go to like a house show, it'd probably be like one that was like a bunch of like my buddies and just be like probably like fifteen older dudes sitting around watching their buddy play music, freaking IPAs. I'm not an IPA guy. I drink Mm -hmm. I drink malt liquor. Yeah, Yeah, I did see. Yeah, (laughs) you got those
0: Mickey's grenades in your
1: fridge. Yeah, yeah. I don't envy that part of your life. I don't have an educated palate when it comes to things like that. And I'm. My mom said to me when I was really young, Red Bull had come out. You remember when Red Bull became a thing? Um, Well, when it first came out, no one liked it. You know, you remember the first time you had one, you were like, this is kind of weird tasting. Yeah, it is.
0: Yeah, it is bizarre.
1: But now you could drink one and not think about it. And at that time frame, my mom was dating a guy who would drink energy drinks. And he would say, they're an acquired taste. Because I was like, I don't like the way that tastes. She said, my mom said, well, most things that are acquired taste aren't worth acquiring. And it was like, kind of like about IPAs and things like that. it always stands out to me when I think about how I don't have an educated palate. With things like beer and working in fishing and working in tattooing, like half my people who I talk to every day, like I, I most of my friends work in breweries and things like that. And it's I just don't. I just drink Mickey's, man. I'll drink. Well, yeah, consume I mean, what consume what you <laughs> like.
0: Like I'm not a I'm not an IPA guy myself. Uh You know, I like. I mean, really, man? I drink Budweiser and, like,
1: Newcastle. Dude, I heard this old-timer once. Like, I've only heard it from one person in my life. And it was, like, a real old man. I heard him call a Budweiser a Getweiser. And it, to me, is the coolest thing that you can call a beer. Like, Getweiser? Yeah, he had a couple of those Getweisers in him. Thought he knew something. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah. Man, that is just so good, you know. And we know in
0: the parlance of our times, man, like, uh, and I don't mean a Bud Light, I mean like a Bud Heavy, you know, red label, glass bottle, uh, that just like hits different, man, you know, like on a hot summer day, like Arkansas hot, you know, super humid, 100 degrees, you've been out there cutting the grass and you go in the shot and you, you know, like one of the things I like the most that I have is I have a shop fridge. Oh man. And it's, you know, if you open it up right now, it would be, I don't even think there's that many beers in it right now, but it's just like, I mean, honestly, it's usually like beers, dried blood or something. I've got some, <laughs> I've got catfish, uh, uh, cured catfish, rose sacks sitting in there drying out. And then yeah. the whole top of it is just nothing but
1: vac sealed Turkey. Yeah. Uh, but it's dude, a I'm, true shop fridge, dude. I'm telling
0: you, you go in there, man. You get that old Budweiser, it, and I mean, like, just the shape of the bottle is different. It's that long, skinny. <laughs> now, I did have the other day. I was fishing with some guys, and they got some Coors Banquet. Yeah, like I'll take a Coors. Short heavy. stubbies, man. Yeah. That's pretty good, dude. Yeah, I, I, it it's a it's Budweiser adjacent, and I'm really like I am anti Milwaukee beer. Like oh, yeah. I, I don't want to drink any of those beers from Milwaukee. I'm talking about the I'm talking about the you know the old standbys, right? Like yeah. Miller and uh Milwaukee's Best and all that stuff. I don't want any of that dude, but that <laughs> that old Coors, man. I got that taste of the Rockies. It was pretty good.
1: Yeah, I'll take a Coors Heavy anytime. I like when you were describing Why you like a Budweiser? And you are talking about like hot summer day, man. You just took me there immediately. I just had like the mental imagery and everything, and I totally get it. There is also something very Americana about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's like. It's, it's like paneling in a basement. It's man. like the James Dean beer. You know, like it's it's the it's the woody, you know, the the wood station wagon. yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's it's very classic Americana to drink a Budweiser or like a Coors Heavy. It's also like I'm from St. Louis, you know, like
0: if I grew up growing up and going down to South City where my mom's from and there's like the you drive by the Anheuser-Busch plant yeah. and there's like a big you know, the 80, big A, yeah, yeah big eighty-year-old flapping, just you know, neon lights flapping the eagle, yeah. There's something about it, man. Uh It's just kind of, it's like Budweiser. And I, look, I'm not a sports guy, but like Budweiser, the Cardinals, yeah. uh Emos Pizza. There's just like there's a there's a few things that are just Blue there. City
1: Deli too. That's just as St. Louis as it gets. What is it? Blue City Deli. Where's that at? Um, Over off Jefferson's, kind of in the hood. They're kind of gentrifying the area now, but it's been around a long time. Just a walk in sandwich place. They got a couple of tables. It is incredible. I like, with as much as I've traveled for tattooing, you know, I've worked at probably 150 plus tattoo shops around the country in the past 14 years or so. Um, I always find my food from people at the tattoo shop. Mm -hmm. Tattooers are notoriously like don't care about their bodies. So they're not really taking great care of themselves. They generally go out to drink a lot and eat a lot. And so, and they usually tattoo service industry people and kitchen people, you Mm -hmm. know? And so they almost always know the best food and not like, I'm going to go spend a, a lot of money on this plate, but like this place has the best burger in town, or this is the best pizza in the state. Like, like low brow eateries that are exceptional. And that's how I got turned on to Blue City Deli, and I will not go through St. Louis without stopping there. So I like going through Memphis and eat at Uncle Lou's. Got to go to Uncle Lou's in Memphis. You know, every – I have like a Rolodex almost of like where you should eat at like every town in the United States because it's like – Easier
0: to get there if you're not hauling the trailer, man. Yeah,
1: yeah, and if I'm not having the trailer, I could do it. There were several times that like we would pull over and park in like a – Home Depot parking lot or something like that and Katie would like walk over to go get food while I hung out with the dogs at the place. You know, we try to get like within a mile or a half mile of the Mm -hmm. place I wanted to eat where it's like, oh man, we're going through here. We got to get that, you know, and uh, man, I gained weight on the road. I also thought, you know, you think you're going to be hiking all the time, fishing all the time, like going to be so healthy. I probably lost 30 pounds of muscle and gained like Fifty pounds of fat <laughs> during the year on the road because i was just eating so much and drinking so much
0: yeah i got i got fat on turkey tour man because you know, like hanging out with people and you're drinking beers yeah uh cooking good food and then here's the downside to traveling by yourself is it's like there's no one you don't have anyone to share the driving with right so like sometimes you got to get someplace and, and you just got to go yeah dude and it's just like pounding skittles I would oh, eat, I would man. eat, which now I guess you can't eat Skittles because they're, they're poisoning you, but, uh, what? yeah, there's like some big lawsuit. There's a, evidently there's an ingredient they have in Skittles in America. They don't have other countries and it's some terrible poison. Big
1: Skittle got
0: you. got I'm telling you, you eat a big, big pack of Skittles, dude. That's an hour. You can drive for an hour off a pack of Skittles.
1: Yeah. I, I'm currently not having added sugar. And so it's been four months, I think, of no added sugar. Like once a week, I might have something, but like my day to day life and stuff. So I've had some road trips in the past couple months. since we moved to Russell. I've made several trips that were big trips. and Skittles was my road snack. and uh, and now I'm like I won't I won't buy them because I'm trying to be sugar free. So I'm just eating, like, salami rolls and stuff like that. Also, not a good way to take care of your body. <laughs> but uh, pickles also. Pickles are zero calorie, you know, and no sugar. And you get a lot of sodium, but that's become, like, my road snack now It's just things like that. The big pickles are like, a jar of pickles? Oh, dude, I always get a jar of, like, cut pickles. Frank's Hot Pickles. Frank's Hot Pickles do have calories, though. They're, like, 20 calories a serving. It's, like, four servings in a jar, so that's, like also man you eat that many pickles and you will get pickled like your your body does not appreciate it. <laughs>
0: yeah you time cut. to drink some water man yeah absolutely well uh drooler thank you so much uh yeah i've been dude i've wanted to have you on the podcast since i started it and when you i saw you were moving back to
1: arkansas i was like bet man i'm gonna have to get over that way to russellville so dude, thank you man i'm stoked i and like I've I've only done two podcasts ever and they're always like, So how did you get started? Why are you doing what you're doing? And I'm more happy to just talk about the trailer life and just hang out with you.
0: Yeah, man, like dude, those those aren't podcasts I want to listen to, so <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask too many of those questions. But uh yeah, so if folks wanna find you, they can go to the YouTube channel, your drooler as well on Instagram. Yeah. And, uh, you say you don't like it, but you're pretty active on there uh and then what's your website
1: um so i have an online store through big cartel okay also, yeah, everything's yeah. kind of under that drooler housing i bought the website i bought com. i don't know how to build a website <laughs> and i thought about it I was like well if i build a website i'm gonna have to update it all the time so i'm just gonna own it i'm just gonna own the website and never use it i'm really happy like with the current size that i'm at i'm not like I'd like to do the YouTube thing more because I think that that would be fun for people to enjoy, you know? And like, I didn't mention this. I should, um, my goal with it is to be able to make enough money from it to pay for everything involved. Like so that I can bring people to me, like buy their plane ticket, give them a place to stay, feed them, take them fishing, free guide trip, tattoo them, And then send them home without them having to open their wallet. So that's what I. That's like my goal with it is to get to where like, like a normal dad of three who said something nice to me on Instagram, who I would have never met and never gets to take a vacation because he lives like a a kind of fixed life, to be like, hey man, if you can just get three days off in a row, everything's on me. You know, like that's what I want to do. And so that that's where I'm trying to head with that. So that's the only reason that's like everywhere else in my life. I'm like, I'm really happy with where I'm at. I don't really feel the need for growth. That's the only thing I really want to grow in is doing the YouTube thing so that I can do that. So how cool would that be to just be like someone hit you up and the ham will fly you across the country and take you fishing and you get a free tattoo and you're going to have a really good time. And then you can just go home and go back to your life. And I think that would be such a neat thing. And so that's what I'm working towards. So, if it, yeah, if anyone wants to check it out, it's just Google Drooler and you'll find it. It's like an old fly fishing Willy Wonka, man. <laughs> if I could be like the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka, that would be a good one.
0: Yeah, that was, I mean, that's the one I grew up on. Yeah. You stole fizzy lifting. <laughs> yeah. You get nothing. Uh, all right, Drew, thanks so much. And, folks, thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Black Duck Revival Podcast. As always, it's produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. Go to the website. I've got uh, waterfowl dates up there now. Just got a handful of them. I'll announce more in the coming weeks, but uh, I've <clears throat> I think I've settled on doing a few less Kind of commercial hunts this year and focusing on a few other projects that i kind of need to strike while the iron's hot on but uh if you did want to get in those spots are starting to fill up so go ahead and take a look at those dates on the website that's just blackduckrevival.com and uh, you can pay deposit and get your spot reserved uh Fishing trips are kind of going to start petering out here in the next month or two, but uh, we can pick those back up next spring, so keep that in mind as well. You can always follow me on uh, Instagram. That's just Black Duck Revival. Uh, And uh, normally I make an appeal for folks to listen, tell folks about the podcast, share it, all that good jazz. And I absolutely appeal to your uh, decency and better values in that enterprise as as well right now but I did want to bring up the fact that I am looking for uh, some videography help specifically what I'm looking for is uh, someone who is capable of doing some traveling rolling around to uh, some different states with me in the van and filming some hunting and cooking and hanging out with folks so uh, obviously I can give more details if you're interested it's a uh, I hate to say anything's an opportunity because people present me with opportunities all the time or quote-unquote opportunities. But uh, I think that what I'm trying to put together is pretty cool. And if you are interested or you know someone who's interested and it sounds like a good time to you and it sounds like a project you might want to work with me on, uh, please hit me up. You can find me on Instagram. You can... uh uh call me text me send me an email just blackduckrevival at gmail.com. but uh please if you know folks that are interested in this uh please send them my way i'd say you know i don't really have any real requirements just uh someone who's good and competent with a camera uh you know maybe maybe someone on the younger side uh that wants to hang out <laughs> in a van and travel around and go hunting uh i don't know but yeah spread the word on that looking for a videographer uh someone located in arkansas would be great but like i said i'm going to be bopping around and so there's plenty of opportunities to meet up other places as well uh thank you so much for listening we'll see you next time